Welcome to Higher State of Being, our bi-monthly podcast about how you can live your best life. I'm Kat Cogren. And I'm Teddy Rocklin, certified clinical hypnotherapist and registered psychotherapist. Together, we're going to explore topics that we all care about, like how to improve sleep, how to reduce anxiety, and how to have healthier relationships. We will be inviting expert guests to share their professional knowledge on each of these fascinating topics and so much more. At the end of each episode, we'll post a guided meditation so that you can reinforce the techniques and strategies that we've discussed. Each podcast, together with the associated guided meditation, will help you live your life more fully and reach a higher state of being. Hi, my name is Kat Cogren, and we are here for Higher State of Being, a podcast that helps you live your best life. Uh, with me today is my cohort, Teddy Rockland. Hello. How are you doing today, Teddy? I'm awesome. How are you, Kat? I'm great, great. And also with Teddy and I today is Darren Gatrio. And I know I still didn't get that last name right, Darren, so why don't you say it for that us? That is perfectly fine. Good morning, guys. It's actually pronounced Gitro, and uh, most people butcher it up pretty good. <laughs> At least I got some of it right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so um, our topic today is better sleep. And on that subject, we brought Darren in because that's what you specialize in uh, in your uh, PA practice, right? That's correct. I work uh, as a uh, sleep medicine physician assistant. I've been doing that for about 10 years, and so this is sort of um, my ball of wax. Awesome. Well, Teddy, I know you spend a lot of time working with your clients in this field as well, this area, this topic of concern, and it's something that I deal with uh, myself. So why don't you give us a little background on what you see in this area to start. Okay. A lot of people who come in for hypnotherapy are coming in because they have sleep disturbances. Um, it's always very valuable to find it if it's for biological reasons, which is why it's wonderful to have a specialist on hand. Um, but when they're coming to me, frequently they're dealing with issues of anxiety, they can't fall asleep, the hamster wheel is going. They might have uh, an addiction, which some don't like to admit to having the screen on, and it's hard to turn that and themselves off. Some people will wake up during the night, they'll have nightmares, night terrors. Uh, They just kind of want to understand why they're waking up tired in the morning or why they're not sleeping at all. Right, so this is something that both of you guys see, you know, obviously, Darren, this is what you Mm -hmm. focus on, but from your broader practice, Teddy, you see a lot of Several times a week, because sleep affects everything. If you aren't sleeping well, you aren't living well, and if you aren't living well, you aren't sleeping well. It's all very interrelated. So some of the top problems we talked about before we uh, turn the the recorder on here is, uh, and this is one that I definitely have trouble with, is waking up in the middle of the night and it's like all the things I have to do, what I didn't get done, you know, what's tomorrow going to be like, oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. you know, the the stresses of of the world and the day. I fall asleep like crazy and I can (laughs) sleep really great from, you know, 4 a.m. on when I'm supposed to be waking up. So... So that's one of the big things, but what are some of the other common sleep issues that you see out there, Teddy? Oh, for me, some of the other sleep issues that I see. Um, For a lot of people, it's not even just the waking up during the night with their mind spinning. For a lot of people, they sleep fine once they're actually out. It's the actual falling asleep, getting themselves to unwind, or even giving themselves permission to lie down. A lot of the people I see are very... uh, ambitious or feel like there's not enough hours in the day or not enough days in the week to actually accomplish all the things that they should, must, or want to do. 
Um, and sleep feels like, in some ways, maybe it's a waste of time. And so impressing upon them the absolute imperative uh, issue of getting enough sleep helps them physically and psychologically. So that's a big one that comes in. So not going to sleep, not just going too busy to sleep. To sleep. Mm -hmm. Or so, even if they do sleep, they wake up tired and they don't understand why they wake up tired. Right. Well, let's talk a little bit about that, Darren. I've, one of the things in my notes here is waking up tired regardless of the amount of sleep you get. Whether it's two hours or ten hours, you're still tired. That's right. So we see that not infrequently. It's, it's a big complaint. And so it's interesting because it's a very relative sort of concept. And so, you know, we get used to the sleep that we get. And if it's a poor quality sleep, then that's the way people sort of, they adapt to it. And they don't recognize that maybe it's not as optimal. So when people come in and they say, after a full night of sleep, I feel like I'm still tired. I feel like I didn't sleep. Then that suggests to me that something is going on during the course of the night that we're just not aware of that's potentially disturbing our sleep and inhibiting maybe getting that optimal quality that we're looking for. Something like maybe a movement disorder or maybe sleep apnea or maybe um, something like an insomnia type situation. So let's talk a little bit, I'm kind of taking a step back from the physio physiological yeah. issues of sleep, but let's talk a little bit about the mechanics of sleep yeah. and how you, you were talking about that. You sleep 10 hours, but there's something going right. on there yeah. and you're not getting rested. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that, Darren. So when we talk about the mechanics of sleep, you know, it's interesting because people come in with what I think is sort of driven by media and what they get exposure to. And so... Um, Folks will frequently come in if they say they're tired, and they'll say, well, you know, I think I'm not getting enough REM sleep. We need to talk about my REM. And I say it's interesting because REM sleep is only a small fraction of what we actually get. It's about 25% of the overall sleep. It's not the deepest sleep. It's not necessarily the most important sleep, but it's the thing that people are aware of. We all of. know REM. We all know REM. <laughs> We're not getting enough REM sleep. That's right. And so, in, you know, in, when we talk about from a, from a mechanical perspective, from a physiologic, it's, it's actually stage three non-REM. That's the true deep sleep that our body craves whenever we're, you know, um, feeling that need to feel uh, refreshed in the morning. That's what we're craving. And so you just touched on it when you said tired. And so I have to discern the difference between tired and sleepy every day at work. And so tired is weary. It's fatigued. It's worn out. When you do a cyclocross race, you come across the finish line, you're probably tired. But oh, yeah. you're probably not dozing. No. <laughs> sleepy is different in that sleepy is my eyelids are heavy. I am on the verge of falling asleep. And so I make that distinction really clear with patients on a day-to-day -day basis because the etiology, the reason why we can experience either sleepiness or tiredness can be quite different. Very different, yeah. So I'm going to expand on that a little bit or just kind of clarify. Sleepiness is when you're like sitting at your computer or watching television in the evening and you just can't keep your eyes open. You just really want to go to sleep. That's right. Tired is you've exerted yourself, you've had a big day, a cycle cross race as we mentioned, or a big hike, and you're just like, whew, I'm bushed. But That's I right. feel good, I'm alert, I'm mm -hmm. just That's right. physically tired. That's right. Cool. So... That's an important concept for people who tell, who, as you alluded to, Teddy, who say, um, I feel like I can't sleep. People will say, well, I go to bed when I'm tired. I say, well, tired is not the trigger for going to bed. Sleepy is the sign. That's the indicator that you should be considering now is the time to go to bed. All right. Very, very big difference there. Yeah. So when we're sleeping, back into the sleep cycles, um, and you mentioned that 
REM sleep is really a, it's part of multiple stages. That's right. So what are some of the other stages in there? So, you know, about 75% of the night is spent in non-REM sleep. And so we start off, obviously, with what we call stage N1. And then we progress into N2 and then the deep, super deep sleep N3, which is the heart rate and the blood pressure really are lowest at that point. So we cycle through until you hit that first stage of REM at about 75 to 90 minutes in. But it's a very brief period of REM. Then we sort of bounce out of that and we can cycle into the stage 3 and REM initially, and then the latter half of the night, the REM periods really get heavy, and it's alternated with stage N2. So it's not quite as clear-cut as a stage N1 through REM, and we, we do that repeatedly. It doesn't quite work that way. We vacillate through the night. The interesting thing about it is that the stages of sleep that we get are going to vary depending on which stage of life we're in. So babies get a ton of REM sleep. And as we get older, and we get into our 70s and 80s, the amount of non-REM stage 3, that deep sleep I'm talking about, and that REM sleep start to taper off and diminish, and we get less of that as we get older. And so the architecture of what we get is dependent upon which stage of life that we're in. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. We yeah. do hear that, too. Yeah. You know, and, and we observe it yeah. quite easily in babies. You know, whoo, out, yeah. completely. Yeah. You know, That's right. They won't wake up until they're ready. That's right. Then they wake up all the time. Yeah, right. <laughs> You're not ready. You're not ready, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I know the older that I get, and it's funny because when I was in my, you know, 30s, I woke up a lot because I had that anxiety mm -hmm. of, oh my gosh, I have babies. Yeah. I have all this stuff I'm gotta responsible Gotta do, gotta do, gotta do, gotta do, gotta do. Exactly. Yeah. Very much responsible. Yeah. And now I wake up very, a little different. It's mm -hmm. more anxiety driven as opposed right. to responsibility driven. And I do think that's, you know, when I work with you on this, Teddy, it's something that I can really train my brain to stop yeah. that chatter. It's, it is self-induced, yeah. but it also is a stage of life induced too, you know, and we'll talk more about that yeah. when we, a little bit longer, but I really want to talk about briefly mm -hmm. the dreaming process okay. and how that affects our sleep and how it also can affect our, our lives, our, mm -hmm. you know, waking up the next day. Believe me, I'm the craziest dreamer. <laughs> that I know. Um, but Teddy, let's talk a little bit about the dreaming process. Okay. Okay. Well, there's a lot of different theories behind the dreaming process. Um, the one that I am most familiar with um, is, is the dreams happen in three stages. The first stage of the dreaming process is what we call the hypnotic stage or the fantasy stage. And that's where you're starting to drift off and you might be dreaming of lying on a beach or something not terribly consequential just to help your body relax, help you feel safe. Some people get stuck there. If they have issues with not feeling safe, they don't feel safe in that stage, so they don't get to the second one. Second stage of the dreaming process we call the precognitive stage. Um, the only thing that any human being fears or has ever feared is the unknown. So your subconscious mind kind of tries to help you out with this. So the second stage of the dreaming process, this precognitive stage, is when your mind is starting to go through the situations that are appearing in your life now. And it kind of takes you down these imaginary paths. This could happen, or this could happen, or this could happen. Okay, next, check. This could happen, or this could happen. So your mind is basically preparing you for possible eventualities mm -hmm. so that when you're in that situation, it's more familiar and you actually can respond. 
because you aren't approaching it with fear. You've already seen this in yeah. your dreaming process. The third stage of the dreaming process, and for most people, significantly longest period, is called the venting stage. And this is the dreams that most of us remember. These are the cuckoo crazy dreams <laughs> because these are completely symbolic. Um, and everything in these dreams is going to be an attempt for your subconscious mind to vent out anxieties and or things you don't need anymore. This is where you vent out everything from um, the, the monster that you used to be afraid of, but the subconscious is going to bring up these familiar, always important familiar, familiar symbols of what it is that you're trying to vent out. So you wake up in the morning and you had a, a dream about your ex. Oh my God, does that mean I'm still in love with him and I want to get back together? No. Probably not, maybe, but probably <laughs> not. What it most likely means is that this individual symbolically repre represents something to you that you are willing to stop re-experiencing in your life. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Okay, yeah. cool. Those are usually the ones that we dream, the ones yeah. we call crazy dreams, as yeah. you say. So the, one of the things in my dreams are, is wind. If mm -hmm. the dream has a huh. particularly terrifying wind in it, right. um, and I grew up in Oklahoma where there was wind yeah. and tornadoes yeah. and mm -hmm. devastation from wind, mm -hmm. I know, to me, and you can tell me if I'm off base here, sure, of course, sure. to me that means I better pay attention to whatever is getting ready to happen in this dream. And often, whatever happens in okay. that dream that's pre-cursed by wind mm -hmm. is something that, in a way, manifests itself in real life, usually later. So, okay. is that... Is that just coincidence? I think it's really valuable to recognize that, at least for you, this strong wind is a symbol for you. For someone else, a strong wind might represent a, a breath of fresh air or an exciting change. For someone else, it might be this fear of the unknown. Oh my God, this is ominous. Something's coming. I never encourage people to do that. Go to the bookstore and, and buy the dream analysis books. Because for some people, a horse is freedom. For some people, a horse is getting dragged along by your ankle and, yeah. you know, terror and out of control. So everyone's symbols are different and exclusive to them. Understanding what your repetitive symbols are is really helpful for me. Yeah. When I am uh, afraid of making a mistake, I'll have dreams about losing one of my teeth. And yeah. Oh my God, I lost a tooth. Something irreversible I can't do anything about. Right. So yeah. our dreams are very specific to us. For you, with this strong wind being representative, I was uh, entertained to hear where you were going with it. My assumption with you saying this was that it was going to be uh, that fear of the unknown. Here comes something and I can't control it. Here <laughs> comes something and mm -hmm. I can't control it. Yeah. yeah. No, it, so it it's very different much for everyone. That. And but then I know, pay attention to what comes out with that wind. Right. Because I might need to... I mm -hmm. might need to... Right. worry about that in real life. You it's, can't control yeah. it, so be prepared as be prepared. much as you can. That's what that Fearing dream represents to you. Mm -hmm. okay. Well, I feel like we could talk about dreams for a whole <laughs> podcast. Oh, so yes. let's, uh, let's, Another uh, time. I like the idea here. We'll get back yeah, to dreams on a, on a subsequent podcast. But I do want to, uh, we're about halfway through, and I want to really get into just at a service level, because I know both of you have very deep knowledge in the next two sections of the podcast today, and that is physiological barriers to good sleep and psychological barriers to good sleep. Mm -hmm. So yeah. let's just kind of talk about some of the top reasons that you see, yeah. Darren, in your practice, and break those down a little bit for us, yeah. and then we'll, we'll move to Teddy on, the, on hers. So, you know, we, we see everything in sort of a general sleep spectrum. And so, depending on which resource you look at, you're going to see between 60 and 100 different types of sleep disorders. So, I just usually split the difference and say there's about 80-ish that we have to deal with. And so, we see everything from the insomnias to the hypersomnias, where people 
or profoundly sleepy. We see the movement disorders like restless legs and periodic limb movements and, and those types of conditions. We see the apneas, which is really our bread and butter. It's the thing that is probably the biggest driver for sleep disturbances that I see. Um, we also see people who have circadian rhythm problems, who maybe have jet lag or they work night shift. And, you know, we have a lot of public service folks who come in who work those shifts, the firefighters and things like that. And so that's a challenge for folks. And so, you know, the interesting thing is that a lot of folks will come in with a lot of complaints, multiple sleep disorders that we have to sort of tease out in the course of the time we spend with them. So one person might have multiple yeah, things, yes. not necessarily just one issue. That's correct, yeah. And so that can be a challenge. And so, you know, when we talk about the spectrum of disorders, we try to approach it from the perspective of, you know, what's going to be the most dangerous thing here? And we know that a specific disorder that falls into the parasomnia, which is abnormal behaviors related to sleep, called REM behavior disorder. Um, we didn't touch on this earlier, but when we're in REM sleep, we're paralyzed. And that's sort of a protective mechanism so that way we don't act out our dreams. But some people have a disorder in which they are able to act out their dreams and they do get injured and they can injure bed partners and they can, they can do really sort of dangerous things. So we have to decide, okay, well, we need to get on this pretty quick. The other thing that we're going to see that has sort of a, a long-term potential risk for folks is going to be sleep apnea. You know, when you deprive your heart and brain of oxygen during the night of sleep, even though we don't have perception that we're doing it, then over time it can increase your risk for you know, strokes and heart attacks and heart failure and cardiac arrhythmias. And so those are going to be the things that we really sort of drive in on those first couple of visits because they tend to have the, the greatest risk ramification. So looking for dangerous or damaging yeah. conditions first That's right. and then breaking it down from right. there. Correct. And even though people will come in and they perceive their insomnia to be emergent, at the end of the day, you know, it's not as dangerous as some of these other things. And we're going to get to it, but I think the point to drive home here is that when people perceive, as you alluded to earlier, um, about waking up during the night, that they have this inability to sleep, it's frequently not what they think it is. It may be another sleep disorder that's prohibiting that, um, that sleep quality that they want or that ability to maintain the sleep through the night. And so sometimes digging into what is mechanically going on with your sleep will sort of elucidate why you perceive that you're not sleeping. Okay. So just, I'm going to briefly touch on sleep apnea because you sure. mentioned that as, as yeah. your bread yeah. and butter. Yeah. And yeah. I'm taking that to be that's the most prevalent it is. thing out it is. there. Yes. So when, what's the, what's the signals, the triggers? When should sure. someone say, you know what? I need to come in and yeah. see you. I mean, I sleep okay. My partner sleeps yeah. okay. He snores a lot. Yeah. That keeps me awake. You yeah. know, where's that right. magical time that you think, maybe the, I should get some help? So that's an interesting question. And, and so, you know, a lot of people don't perceive that they're doing it. And the reason why is because sleep is a very relative situation. And so we adapt to what we get. And so... People who come in and say, I'm tired, I feel like I'm waking up, I have to urinate frequently during the night. When I get up, I don't feel refreshed. Maybe I have headaches. Maybe I don't feel like I'm cognitively as sharp as I need to be. Maybe my mood is terrible, and I don't know what's going on, but my spouse is telling me I'm snoring, or my spouse is telling me I'm doing some wacky things with my breathing at night. Those are all triggers to me. The tricky thing is when someone comes in and they do not have a significant other that can report this, then I have to go with the symptoms of, well, how do you feel the next day? Are you waking up a lot? 
Waking is a very deceptive scenario because we don't frequently recall waking during the night unless we've been awake for a couple of minutes. And so you can wake up 50 times in an hour and not have any awareness that you're doing it and feel dead to the world tired. But if this has been a prolonged problem for you, then this is not abnormal for you. And mm -hmm. so it's not uncommon for folks to come in after we treat them and they say, wow, I had no idea that this was going on. I cannot believe how much better I feel now that it's treated. And so I should have done this a long time ago. Excellent. So, Teddy, let's mm -hmm. move on to some of the psychological barriers okay. to good sleep that you see. Okay. Stress, habits. Sure. Let's dig into that sure. a little bit. Well, for starters, I see significant overlap in the work that you and I do, Darren, because I think that there is going to be, obviously, that psychological overlap. If sure. someone is dealing with a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, they'll be grinding their teeth and mm -hmm. hopefully come see you for bruxism, yeah. or they'll be, uh, their, their nerves are just, they, they can't sit still, they can't be settled, they can't be settled mm -hmm. subconsciously. They're still trying to run even when they're asleep, well, now they've got restless leg. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of psychological issues that will have physiological aspects to it, and vice versa, of course. So uh, when people come in initially presenting with me for sleep issues, what I want to look at is what are the things that you perceive as stress? What are the things that are happening in your life that are causing you to feel anxiety? Mm -hmm. What might be causing you to <gasps> yeah. feel that fear and stop breathing? What are those things that are causing you to feel like you could run but you can't actually run from? So what are these psychological experiences that you have had and aren't having anymore or are having and let's address those and go from, from that point because sleep is a habit. It's funny how much kickback I get on this one. Um, sleep is a, a habit and just like any other habit, it requires doing it frequently and repetitively and as consistently as possible. Again, the only thing we fear is the unknown. So creating this, um, this situation for yourself where I like to use this pillow or I like to sleep in this temperature or I like to go to bed at this time, creating some form of a routine for yourself and I think you and I might differ yeah. in our opinions on this one which yeah. is fine yeah, yeah, absolutely. not everything is going to work for everybody right. something is going to work for everybody well and I can say from my perspective mm -hmm. there are sleep rituals that my partner and I have mm -hmm. that really are they work for us it's yeah. like, this is this is how we do yeah. this almost every night right and if we deviate from that like if he says I gotta go to bed early I'm yeah. like well, I know I might not sleep as well because I have to sneak <laughs> yeah, in there yeah, and yeah. weasel into the covers, yeah. you know. So, I, mm -hmm. I mean, to me, this resonates for sure. Sure. But sure. Just kind of creating, creating a, a form of ritual or a form of routine or something that's going to work. If the, if the ritual routine is I don't go to bed until I feel sleepy, mm -hmm. fine. But what can you do to help yourself start to be able to feel more sleepy? Does it help you to recline with your head supported? Does it help you to... Let that last time you go to the bathroom before you go to bed be the trigger for you. Does brushing your teeth tell you it's time now? What's going to give you that cue that now's a good time to start giving myself that time, space, physical position to actually fall asleep? And how many hours of rest do I actually need to get before that alarm goes off in the morning? Um, one of the things that I'm sure people want to talk to you about also is when we go through these hormonal changes. Um, and circadian rhythms, and if anyone doesn't know what that is, this is this uh, experience that at different stages of your life, teenagers, for example, frequently don't want to go to bed until 1 or 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And they, they don't want to get up until 10 or 11, <laughs> but their alarm goes off at 6 because they have math class at 7.20 yeah, yeah, in the morning. Yeah. So I witnessed this with my mom and my niece sure. just the other day. Uh -huh. yeah. My mom wanted my 
18-year-old needs to get up right? and make breakfast with her because, yeah. you know, she yeah. was there visiting. More time together. Oh, mom, don't try to wake up a teenager. Yeah. Right? Good luck go with well. that. Let her have <laughs> right. what she needs because we have these different cycles of what's going to work for us. If he's going to sleep 18 to 20 hours. Uh, frequently, someone who is a, a senior will go to bed earlier and wake up a whole lot earlier. I have my own personal theories anthrop- anthropologically why that would be. Um, but for psychological benefit for getting sleep or psychological barriers to getting sleep, I find that creating some sort of a, a routine, I try to go to bed somewhere between 10 and 11, I try to get up somewhere between 6 and 7, and if that isn't working for me, then I modify it this way so that you feel more in control. When you feel in control, you feel safe. When you feel safe, you can relax. When you can relax, you can rest. And if you can rest, then you can sleep. Um, and people need different amounts of sleep also. Contradict me if you, if you yeah, feel otherwise. Correct. But uh, some people function fine. If most of the time they're getting six, sometimes more. Some people really need that full seven and a half or eight hours. Part of the problem that we see is that people have this perception of what they think they need, which is also driven by their peers or society. And so it is not uncommon where people will tell me, hey, I didn't get my eight hours. And my response is usually, well, who told you you need eight hours? You could very well be a six hour and 45 minute sleeper. Mm -hmm. And the problem comes and you create a mismatch whenever you're trying, you're striving to get eight hours, but your body's not wired to give it to you. That's going to create that insomnia scenario that right. is mm-hmm. so hard for people to... There's something wrong with me. Th- What's wrong with that's me? That's right. And, and so a lot of times it's just confirming that, you know what, what you're getting, it may be okay. Mm-hmm. And that's, a, that's all right. And yeah. so sometimes dispelling that myth of the perfect eight, um, people will come back and say, I had no idea. I had no <laughs> idea that I was a seven hour, 15 minute girl. Mm-hmm. And I'm so much happier now that I'm not trying to push okay. for yeah. what society for says. Right. Sure. That's exactly right. Sure. Yeah, and then there's those times where I, like, when I have to travel and I need to get up early, it's right. like, today it will be okay That's to right. get four and a half hours. That's right. I'm not going to do that always, but sure. today yeah. it's okay. Yeah. I and encourage then, people to look at it in 90-minute cycles, and this, again, there's so many different theories behind it, but what, what I had learned. Um, it's, it's not about the eight hours. If you need eight hours, that's great. Right. But I, I offer people to give themselves permission to sleep six, seven and a half, or nine hours. If you're only going to get four and a half, then give yourself that four and a half. But give yourself this preferably roughly 90-minute cycle so that you can go through the various stages of sleep and come out of each of the cycles feeling alert. So if you're only going to be able to get five hours of sleep, Get four and a half if your body sleeps till five. Five mm-hmm. more, that's mm-hmm. fine. So, as we get to the last bits of the podcast here, I would like to ask both of you mm-hmm. to, you know, I mean, we'll have resources on the podcast materials yeah. for for people mm-hmm. to get in touch with you guys and, and further explore more serious conditions. Mm-hmm. But let's say normal person like me, I can't sleep. Mm-hmm. What are what are some tips or tricks that each of you would give? Um, as we wrap up for sleeping better, I'm, I'm waking up in the middle of the night and I'm like, can I please just go back to sleep? What would be some strategies that I could take? Darren, we'll start with you. So here's, you know, again, we have to think about, is there some mechanism that's driving these awakenings? And so for women that are at a certain stage in life, we wonder, is this a menopausal component? Is it a medication component? How much alcohol are you taking in? Because that's notorious for waking us. Is it some mechanical, is it an apnea or a limb type movement situation that's driving it? So if it's not, then we have to consider the possibility that maybe it is an insomnia related situation. 
And I tell folks that we have to use a process called stimulus control therapy, in which laying in the bed for longer than 20 minutes can actually exacerbate the problem, because then you start to condition your brain to associate the bed as a place of trouble. And so we tell folks, accept what you're going to get. Sleep is going to come, and if it doesn't come tonight, then it'll come tomorrow. And if it doesn't come tomorrow, it'll come the subsequent day. But the crux of sleep is trying to figure out, okay, what time, from my perspective, um, is the time that I choose to get up? Because the getting up time of the day is what drives when we fall asleep. And sometimes what you're describing, Kat, is a situation where people are simply trying to spend too much time in bed. And the body wakes up at 2 o'clock in the morning or 3.30 in the morning and says, I think I'm done. I'm going to lay here for the next hour and stare at the ceiling and count sheep. That doesn't accomplish anything. And so I tell folks, we have to tighten that up. We have to compress your sleep in those situations to try to drive the process of sleep with the sleep that you have. So don't go to bed quite so early, maybe. Maybe. If I'm waking up. At 2 o'clock. That's right. And get up at the same time every day. No and matter, that'll, that'll no matter take, what. That's I'm right. That's um, right. So, Teddy, mm-hmm. what would be some tips and tricks that you would be able to, to give us here in this situation? Uh-huh. I get a lot of kickback on this one, too. Screens do not belong in your bedroom. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> totally agree. Don't be watching TV. Yeah. Certainly don't watch the 11 o'clock news yeah. in bed and then think you're going to sleep well. Get the screens out of your bedroom. If you absolutely must email before you go to bed, sit at the dining room table, yeah. email, close the, the laptop, and yeah. give yourself permission to not have that light coming at your eyes yeah. when you're trying to sleep. It, it throws off your, your nervous system. Thank you. So um, when I do this in the middle of the night to check uh, waking up at 10, yeah. at 2.30 in the morning, you Don't know? do that. Don't do that. Okay. She said flipping over her smartphone to demonstrate. <laughs> yeah, we, we all know that, and most of us do it. Your alarm, your, if, even if you're using your phone for your alarm, it can be on the other side of the room, you know? Because the temptation is just too, too, too strong. So I really like to encourage that one. Um, Again, I like to encourage giving yourself some sort of a routine. And big thing is take some of the pressure off of it. Um, We feel like there's there's so much should that sleeping becomes another thing on the to-do list, which keeps you in to-do mode, which isn't helping you get effective sleep. So letting yourself have that this is the rest that you're going to give yourself. This is the time. It's very congruent. Yeah. I I also want to take the pressure off of the sleep aspect of it. Because if you're having difficulty sleeping, it's going to come. come. It might not be tonight. It might not be tomorrow night. But your body still needs the rest. So um, if what you're doing is hypnosis or self-meditation or listening to a very calming audiobooks and peaceful poetry, something that's going to give you permission to at least I'm going to have this time to rest because we do need a certain amount of time to rest. Um, So again, getting in touch with someone who can offer hypnotherapy, listening to meditation, podcasts, anything that's going to give you that permission to take this time to stop doing and just be resting. Frequently sleep will just follow that. Excellent. Well, we will have a hypnotherapy mm-hmm. in our subscription base <laughs> yeah. for sleep. Cuddy uh, nice. and I have been working on this, and it's, it's I, I would say it's, it's amazing. It's really good. Mm-hmm. And like I said, we will have resources, information to get a hold of uh, sleep Perfect. positions in the area that you're in, mm-hmm. uh, resources that you can reach out to mm-hmm. as part of our podcast material. Darren, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much it's for having me. It's been amazing. And Teddy, do you have any closing words for us on this? Sleep well. Awesome. Sleep well and live well. This is Higher State of Being. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. Thank you. 
thank you for listening to Higher State of Being. We invite you to visit higherstateofbeing.com and become part of our community. Here you will find the guided meditations and resources to help you on your journey. Subscribe and get full access to all downloadable meditations, deeper resources, and much more. Visit higherstateofbeing.com.